0: Voices provides a platform for women in South Carolina who get shit done. I'm Nell Fuller, the co founder of Femex Columbia and Fem Capital, and each week I'll dive deeper into the stories of inspirational women who make an impact in the Columbia community and beyond. All right, welcome Aparna. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so excited that you're here today. I have We have so much to learn from you. You're doing so many awesome things, so let's jump right into it. Um, first, introduce yourself and how you identify and um, a little bit about you.
1: Sure. Um, my name is Aparna Polavarapu. I... What do you mean, how do I identify?
0: <laughs> she, her, his, him. Oh, okay. Um, you know, how do you identify yourself? Okay. Um,
1: yeah, so I, I use she, her pronouns. Um, I, uh, gosh, how long have I been in Columbia now? A little over eight years. Okay. And I um, am a law professor over at the University of South Carolina, and I have recently founded, and I'm the executive director of the South Carolina Restorative Justice Initiative.
0: Awesome. So first, talk a little bit about, um, Law and how you got into that, and particularly, I know your focus is restorative justice. So, talk a little bit about your journey to that.
1: Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep it um, a manageable length because my path, generally through life, is unconventional and circuitous. Um, I started out thinking that I wanted to um, be a scientist mm-hmm. when I was young, so like I had no. Thoughts about going to law school really um, in undergrad. I you know I have a degree with a focus on neuroscience, and I thought I was going to do like drug development. I wanted to go make wow. drugs, um, and realized that like while I really liked learning about that stuff, I didn't actually like being in lab. Okay, <laughs> I didn't enjoy <laughs> the actual doing of any of it. Right, um, and so I started looking around at other um, options. I went to D.C. for an internship and thought, like, wow, maybe I should do law school. Mm -hmm. Um, And after I graduated from college, I took a year off. I interned up at Legal Aid in the Bronx, which was very eye-opening for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I decided, like, I really do want to go to law school. So I went to law school, um, you know, figured out my third year there that what I really liked was international law and um, human rights and refugee
0: law. Um, Did that have to do with any of your work in the Bronx and the legal in the legal aid there, or was it just what you learned along the way in law school?
1: Well, I always, you know, had an interest in rights. I think I think there's a good number of people who go to law school coming from like a very rights-based perspective, and. Yeah. Um, So, and I think, you know, my time in the Bronx definitely uh, reinforced that. I actually came out of the Bronx thinking, wow, I don't really like how our criminal system works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I had set that aside. Like, the lesson I took from that is, therefore, I shouldn't be involved in the criminal system. Ah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I practiced, uh, decided... uh, um, Sorry to go back to your question. So, what I the interest in human rights and international work I picked up while I was in law school. Okay. Um, from my classes that I took, um, I practiced. Decided, I didn't. You know, I didn't. That wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. <laughs> um, and I started, I shifted my work to more international work. And when I came here, I'm skipping a lot of steps, but when I came here to South Carolina, I started, um, you know, I was, I was really focused on uh, comparative law and international rights. And I was working a lot in sub Saharan Africa. Okay. And this is actually what loops right back down, right back around to my disinterest in the criminal system. Mm-hmm. While I was there, I. Had a lot of exposure to informal systems of justice, and then also because of my background as, you know, a woman of Indian descent, um, I have sort of exposure that way through like the Indian traditions and Asian traditions. Um, and I, the more I thought about the work I was seeing happen and all of the innovation, especially in Uganda, with the use of um, these restorative-type practices to address problems of violence, I thought, like, I really should bring that here to South Carolina. Um, and there's been a restorative justice movement in the United States, too, that's been happening for a long time. But um, after coming
0: back here and talking to people here to see what's been going on, I saw a real need. Right. So, so. from re- when you say restorative justice techniques and um, traditions that mm-hmm. you were seeing, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, talk a little bit about what that means. Sure.
1: So yeah, it's a good question, because it's a broad term. (laughs) Um, So the way I like to describe restorative justice is when it's being practiced in response to a harm that's been committed, what it is, is it's a bringing together of all the parties who are affected by that harm. So it's not just the person who's hurt somebody else and the person who's been hurt, Mm -hmm. but usually like members of the community in some way. So what I saw when I was in Uganda was through a process called reconciliation. Um, And I was specifically looking at the use of reconciliation to address domestic violence, um, which has a broader meaning in Uganda than it does here. Um, And that would involve conferencing, usually, with the, the two parties, right? So whoever was directly connected to the violence, but also sometimes family members, clan members, community elders, anyone else that they felt was um, an important stakeholder. And then they would have these long conversations where they would talk about what had been done. Uh, The facilitator would bring in the law sometimes just to say, um, see, this is so important that it's actually against law, or like the Constitution says um, that that equality is a right and people have a right to be free from violence. So it wasn't like driven by the law, but it, the right. law was brought in to say, um, these are the important norms in our community. Right. Um, and then from there, try to, at least the facilitators I, I really, that um, I really responded to who were working really hard to try to change behavior would say, um, you know, here's why what you did was, wrong let's talk about the impact they would give opportunity for everyone to speak and then at the end of that an agreement was made right to um to hold the people accountable mm-hmm. in some way so oftentimes they would make some sort of reparation and by reparation it doesn't have to be financial it can right. be it depends on what the person needs right. it can be as simple as an apology it can be Here are steps i'm taking in the future here's how we're going to live from now on right um as well as you know well, I guess I kind of already said this. Like, um, how I'm going to change my behavior? Mm-hmm. How we're going to ensure that this doesn't happen again?
0: Yeah. So, how does um, how does that fit into like the U.S. legal system? Do you find that there's room for restorative justice? Is there a movement towards that, or um, is it kind of the legal system versus restorative justice? I
1: think. Well, from what I've seen, right. Um, we definitely have space for restorative justice here in the United States, and that's a movement that um, has been around for several decades now. Um, and again, the U.S. movement um, involves practices that look a little bit similar to what I just described, mm-hmm. but also there's a whole other area of restorative practice that's like not in response to direct harm. Okay, it's just um, kind of like maintenance or prevention practice. Right. Um. But we do have – there are examples of restorative programs that are attached to courts, so they work with the courts. Mm -hmm. And I will say that I've been speaking to people here in um, South Carolina who are directly connected to courts, who are interested in developing or working with an existing restorative justice program. Wonderful to send people to, but there are also practices, and this is what I think is really important to highlight there are um, practices in this country that are available for people who don't want to go to court Mm -hmm. because the criminal system is not for everyone. No, (laughs) (laughs) so um, and there are communities who will never ever go to the state, right? right? So um, these practices offer them an opportunity to resolve these problems in Mm -hmm. a way that works for them and in a way that the state just can't provide.
0: Right, right. So um, is there a model that has worked in the United States, like in another city or state, um, that you are inspired from or draw from? So there are a few different models
1: that... I'm pausing because I'm struggling over the word work. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) So, a lot of it depends on how you define that. Okay. Right. So, if we're looking at people who have been arrested, right, or going before a court, then one of the things that we might um, do to measure success is see are they going to get rearrested or what's the recidivism rate? Right. Um, And there are definitely programs in this country and elsewhere, not just in the US, but we can look to several other countries. where recidivism has been measured or rearrest has been measured, and right. that's dropped. Um, and there's been uh, some studies that have evaluated that with respect to circle restorative justice circles that have been offered to address um, uh, cases of sexual assault. Okay. Right. And so they've actually found that in some of those, um, you know, People were not getting rearrested, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of, there are a couple of programs too that show data with juvenile justice as well. Um, in other cases, it's harder to measure, right? Because if you have a, a community where people are not ever calling
0: the police, right, you can't measure things in that way. Right. Um, so, who drives the process in the community if the state, like if the state doesn't get involved and they can be? I guess not treated, or the problem can be treated um, or dealt with outside of that. Who does that?
1: Well, often so you need some sort of you need a facilitator, right? You need someone who's gonna who's gonna agree to um, help move this process along.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the you know you need to have someone there who can perform that service, but otherwise, right that ideally is driven by the parties themselves. Okay. Like they want to engage in this process. Right. What you don't want is, um, especially in the case of someone who's experiencing the violence, who's suffering abuse, that person being forced into something that they're not comfortable with. Right. Or where they feel um, unsafe. hmm So, I mean, because we know that in certain situations, you have an imbalance of power that you have to address. Right. Uh, But you can still, right, you can still be experiencing violence or being harmed by violence while still feeling empowered enough to participate in this process. Right. But you have to be, um, you have to have a good relationship with your facilitator. You have to be... Given that opportunity to feel empowered. Right. If you're not given that, right, right, then we have something that's not going to work. That's going to fall apart. Right. But in an ideal situation, right, those parties should be helping to drive the process.
0: Okay. So the South Carolina Restorative Justice Initiative. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what led you to that point and, and a little bit about it. Sure. Um. So when I, gosh,
1: what was it was? It was like 2019 at some point. Maybe a little earlier than that. I started speaking with people around Colombia about my interest in restorative justice and you know how it's grown over time. I used to be kind of skeptical of it mm-hmm. um, but you know I had come back I had from like my most recent trip to Uganda and at that point I had that was a culmination of years and years and years of slowly moving towards accepting these kind of informal practices Okay. Um And I had started talking with folks here in town about it who are community organizers and advocates for people and said, you know, I'm really interested in learning more about whether we engage in this kind of work here in South Carolina. And Mm -hmm. what I learned from speaking with people is that there was a lot of interest, Okay. but people felt like they didn't know what to do with that interest. Right. So then they found out my background and they said, okay, well, will you come speak and will you do training? So I started you know, speaking and putting together educational materials and webinars. And, you know, most of the time when people ask you to do webinars, they want it to be an hour, an hour and a half, right? And so at the end of that, I would get people coming to me and saying, that was really great. I feel really excited. I feel like I've learned a lot, but I still have to learn a lot more. And I was like, yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And especially because restorative justice doesn't have... A single model it's mm-hmm. not like I can come at you with a blueprint and say just do this right, right? you have to develop what works um, given who you are who you're trying to serve and what their needs are and you know who's in your community um, so at that point I thought okay well maybe I can get like speakers from around the country, and this was pre-COVID, so I was right. like, "Oh, and I can like raise some money and fly people in from Uganda, and, right? Um, <laughs> India, and some other like um, just other places where people are being innovative too." Because I think it's right. really, really important to acknowledge um, that the roots of this are coming from um, other countries and right. from um, indigenous groups, you know, on our own continent, and. Um, You know, not erase those people.
0: Right. Right. We're not good at that in this country.
1: Yeah. So I was trying to be very (laughs) deliberate about that. But then, of course, we had a pandemic. Right. So I was like, well, this conference is not going to happen anytime (laughs) soon. Not yet. (laughs) Yeah. So what I ended up doing was I just completely shifted gears. And I thought, you know, there's at this point so much interest. I've been talking to so many people and they were really looking forward to, you know, what was originally going to be a conference. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, Let's see if I can rework this. So, what ended up happening was I um, realized I needed to put everything online if people wanted this education sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And then I would need to create a formal space for it. Um, And then I started hearing from people who were like, Well, even after you give us that, we want to do trainings. We want you to help us, you know, (laughs) figure out what our next steps are. So, that's really how. Um, the South Carolina Restorative Justice Initiative, or SCRJI, just mm-hmm. grew to be. Right. Um, and it was, you know, just the, the thing that I did. It was a one-woman show for a while. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So um, you say it was a one-woman show. How, how have you grown? Well, so now it's a two-person show. Awesome. <laughs> That's great. But, you know, yes, yeah, slowly but surely,
1: um I have a part-time program associate who is a recent grad of the law school. She is wonderful. Um, and we're actually looking for funding now to make it, to have her working for me full-time, right. um, longer term. right? Um, but yeah, you know, I've got, I've got like another full-time job.
0: So. I know, I was about to ask how you're doing that on top of being, you know, just a law professor at USC and raising a family and
1: yeah, how,
0: how does that look? <laughs> it's in COVID
1: (laughs) COVID. it's not easy Mm. it's been really challenging um and I think what's kept me going is how much I believe in the work how um how much support I've had from you know different organizations in town uh the different advocates and community organizers who have just not only expressed interest, but said, how can we help you? Because we see a need for this. And I really could not have done it. I mean, speaking of community, I could not have done it without those people. Right. Yeah, that's so important. It really, really is. So I'm very (laughs) lucky, I'm very, very lucky to have that. And then also just all the people who agreed to take time out of their day to speak. Right. I was very, very lucky so instead of doing a conference I launched a webinar series in September okay and um, it reached you know max capacity pretty quickly and um, I was very lucky I mean I did a lot of hustling but I was still pretty lucky that I got some like really um, really good salad speakers to come who have, You know, lots of experience, just years and years of practice experience in restorative justice or transformative justice under their belt and were real experts in their field who were willing to give the time to um, participate in this series and teach. And they were all really excited about also making, you know, helping something grow here in South Carolina.
0: Right. Since it was virtual, were you able to bring in international speakers or were they largely um, local Well,
1: so time zones presented a problem.
0: Yes, yes, that's (laughs) true. (laughs) Because we tried,
1: I tried, and we did a run-through, and it was just so hard. Yeah. So we thought, okay, um, we'll just, you know, it's going to happen, right? It's just not happening
0: right now. Right, right. So talk a little bit about how, um, what kind of classes do you teach at the law school? I guess, were you brought in to do restorative justice type classes and and research or did you evolve to that and how has the university embraced that aspect
1: i evolved to it Mm -hmm. um i was hired initially as um and i'm doing air quotes a rule of law hire got it there was a push at the time to get more faculty who do work or research in you know this amor- amorphous field of rule of law. Mm-hmm. And I was one of them. I had been doing field work. Um, my research is is pretty different from a lot of other legal academics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of my colleagues, most, not all, but most, most of them um, do a lot of desk research. Okay. And I was doing a lot of work that was based on going into the field and interviewing people and looking at the actual impacts of laws and then, you know, right. make you know, commenting on them or saying, here's what I think we should do next. Right. Um, And so I started out really like all international all the time. Yeah. I taught, you know, transnational law, comparative law, international human rights, skills, and um, a rule of law seminar. And then over the course of my research, I became, you know, increasingly interested in restorative justice. And it wasn't that weird for me because, as I said, my research... I was always focused on informal systems of justice and alternative right. approaches to justice. So it's not like this is completely out of left field, so to speak, Right. but um, it's new growth, I would call it. So I've added a new class. It's a seminar on restorative and transformative justice, mm-hmm. and it's been really phenomenal to teach. I'm so excited. I was a little nervous because I thought, okay, I've got... Law students who have, um, you know, been taught in a system that works a certain way. Right. Now they have to sit in my class and I have to say, now let's just dismantle that. Right. Right. <laughs> but they've been really great. I'm That's amazing. Lucky to have them.
0: So talk about um, so two two parts here. Um, thinking about like moments that have inspired you the most to get you where you are today. Like start professionally like what was there a particular moment or study that really was like this is going to change my trajectory
1: from um from what I was doing to the restorative justice
0: work yeah okay I'm trying to remember
1: if there was a single moment or if it was like a slow Mm -hmm. (laughs) a slow move because really you don't find it's not common among academics to be like, I'm just going to start an organization. And that really wasn't my plan. Right. I think, I think what it was, was that I, I can't think of a single moment, but I've always had um, a side of me that wants to be Part of the community where I'm living mm-hmm. and an advocate in that community and working with people. Um, so I was, you know, even before SCRJI, I, you know, I remember I had done a talk at the Museum of Art on a freedoms panel and I had like agreed to do talks here and there around um, Columbia periodically on issues that just were relevant to people here. right? Um, and I, I mean, yeah, I can't think of there was a single moment. I will say I did have one moment that that maybe made me feel like I should develop this further. And that was in conversation with Sarah Barber, who's the executive director of Skudvasa. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to watch her do a presentation on you know, just the current state of intimate partner violence and um, sexual assault here in South Carolina, some of the problems they were, their clients were experiencing with the system, some of the issues that some of her member organizations were going through, and, um, you know, coming up to her after the presentation to say, well, here's where I'm coming from, here's my interest. And that was such a robust and fruitful conversation. And I remember thinking, like, here's someone who's legit, right? right, Um, and who can, you know, who really helped me visualize what could be possible. Okay. And then, you know, made me start thinking like, maybe I should think more about what I could bring here.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. There is space for this and it can be, um, you know, fed by and Food for all of the energy that already existed here mm-hmm. in town, um, that's wonderful. So, um, oh, the other part, part mm-hmm. two. Um, so, personally, um, yeah. talk a little bit about personally how um, you've gotten to this place in your life.
1: Yeah, um, okay, <laughs> sorry, I'm big thinking question. A bit. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, like, like, what do I say? How much do I let out? Um, So, I'm just trying to figure out which part of that to answer. I feel like, um, you know, there's just so much going on right now. Yeah. That it's... um, And again, if you mean personally sort of where I'm, like, getting to South Carolina or...
0: Yeah, I think... um you know, uh, you know when I, when I ask that, I think in my own head, like, what, what got me, like, what was the moment or the string of moments, I guess, that kind of add up to get me where I am today? Whether it's, um, you know, death or divorce or depression or, um, you know, being the victim of a crime or mm-hmm. um, taking a huge risk that failed. Like, mm-hmm. are there moments like that along the way that have really pushed you forward?
1: Yes, Um, I think for me it's been, it's just been a lot, if I had to describe myself or or sort of um, isolate my, like the story of my life into moments, there would be a string of moments where I'm just trying lots of new things. Yeah. um, And then saying, maybe this isn't exactly what I should be doing, so Mm -hmm. let me change it up. Yeah. So for me, it was like, like I said, I, you know, so what I had said earlier, right, my path is is not conventional and circuitous. Um, When people ask me how I got into academia, I'll tell them, but then I'll also say, like, don't follow what I did because (laughs) (laughs) most of my colleagues knew from the time that they were in law school that they wanted to be a law professor and they set up everything that they did. Okay. Right. To get to this point. Okay. I did not do that at all. I just kind of like went to law school and I thought this place is really different from a school where everyone's focused on science and technology. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's really, really different. Um, I, you know, practiced at a firm and then I went to grad school for international affairs and I, you know, I think near the end of that, during my second year of my master's degree, I was like, maybe I want to be an academic,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Which is not the path you're supposed to take, right? You're <laughs> supposed to like plan all your classes and think about how to get the best grades, right? And I just would be like, oh, this is interesting. I'll just take it, right. you know. It adds an extra two hours, and I'm exhausted, and I'm not going to have time to do it properly. But I'm interested, right? Um, that's not really what people would tell you to do. Right, right. right. The advice would be like, be strategic, try to get the best grades, go get a clerkship, then get another clerkship, write a few papers. And, you know, I just was like wandering around. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Doing what I wanted to do, trying things out. And I'm I'm not unhappy about any of it. Right. I'm glad I tried all of it. But um, I'd say just trying new things until I figured out who I fully am is really what got me here.
0: Yeah. Um, what hits me the most about that is, you know, the system and the way you're supposed to follow the path, um, was not designed with women in mind at all. Um, Mm -hmm. or with really any kind of diversity. I think that, you know, the legal profession definitely was like this type of person follows this path and gets the job this way. And, um, So I feel like there's a lot of benefit, particularly around where you've landed with restorative justice and the path that you took to get there, because it is a challenge to the norm and the way that the rule of law works. And so I think um, having legal minds and genius come to the table with a different path of how they got there can do so much to change. you know, the pile of shit that exists right <laughs> now in our particularly criminal yeah. justice system. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not averse to risk, which makes me a weird kind of lawyer, I guess. <laughs> 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 but I don't, you know, I think... I'm not, you know, jumping off cliffs every second, but right. I, I'm i okay trying new things and testing... Um, You know, just testing new ideas out, I think, pretty readily. Um, And I think for me, you know, even for me, it was hard to get behind restorative justice because you are so trained in the system. And it's not just law school, but like your whole life. We're all trained in the system. Right. Um, So it's hard to accept something new and... um, You know, I've also seen these ideas of traditional justice be warped and used really badly. Mm -hmm. So I had that baggage also. Right. (laughs) Where I was like, I don't... This is going to be terrible, right? Right. Um, But so I can't say, like, I just, you know, immediately realized it was great. I definitely had resistance to it at first. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I was, you know, I I saw that maybe I was wrong. Yeah. (laughs) And that this, you know, could... Really offer something to people that our criminal legal system does not.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So, um, one thing we like to ask everybody, we're venturing voices. So, um, why do you venture? Like, why do you continue to put yourself out there and try new things at the risk of, you know, being wrong or failing or coming up against resistance?
1: That's a very good question. Um, I've never really, you know, I think it's just who I am. Mm -hmm. I think um i i want to be out there and trying new things and there's a part of me that thinks it would be easier if i just didn't <laughs> like life <laughs> would be a lot easier if i just sat around and let someone else do it yeah um but i just when i see that something can be better i can't sit and do nothing about it right you know um I obviously can't do something about everything that needs to change, and we know there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to change. <laughs> right. But I can do something about one of those things, at least. Right. Um, but I also want to open my... I'm thinking of venture in two different ways. Like, mm-hmm. So I answered the first part in terms of venture to achieve a goal or better society, but then there's another part of me that's just adventurous. I want to... Yeah you know, see what's out there, you know, in between, um, in between quitting practice and starting grad school for international affairs, I thought I've been practicing for a while and I have not had any good adventures. I've just like put on a suit and gone to this like office, (laughs) (laughs) made some rich people richer. Um, (laughs) and so I, um, signed up to participate in, um, what was then the inaugural Africa Rally, which was held by an organization by the adventurists, you know, uh, bought a car off of eBay UK with like two people I barely knew. I had met them for one weekend. And I was like, <laughs> you seem like you'd like an adventure. Right, And Let's then do this. Yeah, so we did. <laughs> and we, you know, bought it off. Like I said, we bought a car off of eBay UK, picked it up in London and drove a rally. We started in London and we ended in Douala, Cameroon. Just because I was like, I got to get out. I've got to. Yeah. So there's that side as well. I just can't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. Thank you for that. Um, I know that hits me. You know, you can't just, just stop, like keep in a cycle or give up or, you know, there's so much more to see, like no matter where you are in your life or in your journey, like there's always still an adventure you can go on. There's always something that you don't know. So um, I think that's great motivation.
1: Yeah, and those people, I'll say, like, putting yourself out there like that also opens you up to a new kind of inspiration. Yeah. You know, because I've met some amazing people in places where I never expected to. Yeah. And they, some, you know, we've had our mishaps, (laughs) but like, just some wonderful people who really showed me just um, the depth. Of, like, but just how big their hearts are, right? Like how yeah. much humanity can do for us, right? If we're willing to just be open and embrace each other, and so that's been really like a big part of my life too—is trying not to forget that, right? I'm trying to expose myself to people who can keep showing me that,
0: right? Right. Um, oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, okay that's all the the i could sit here and talk forever and ever and ever but um same i enjoyed it i know right (laughs) so i guess that's all for this week and maybe we'll have to bring Aparna back as she grows with her organization and and hear more about the great work that you're doing yeah i would Um, love that there's so much more to talk about so thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll be back next friday To venturing voices we're excited to release a new podcast every friday which can be found on our website at femxcolumbia.com forward slash venturing voices we look forward to you tuning in next week and introducing you to another badass woman thanks so much